Well, amen. Thank you all. It's good to see you all again as well. I think the last time, other than just brief encounters, I saw some of the kids at camp. The last time I saw them as a family was a long time ago, probably in, probably in Conway, Arkansas, if I remember right. That's down there uh, in a family conference, and they were there. That was a long time ago. But uh, I'm the only one of this bunch that doesn't get any older. I stay like I was. <laughs> Yesterday afternoon, someone in our church, apparently it was posted on Facebook, I don't know, but sent me a picture of uh, me and Brother Jimmy Carter in Clyde, Spain, up at camp. And I learned later that the year was 2005 that it was taken. And oddly enough, I had a different color hair then and uh, a lot more of it and a few other differences. So I texted it to my wife and uh, she got it and she went, wow, you look like a baby. (laughs) I said, he's still in here somewhere. (laughs) Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you all again for singing, and very good to see you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open the book of 1 Kings, and chapter number, I'm sorry, 2 Kings, and chapter number 1, 2 Kings, chapter number 1. <clears throat> when you find your place, I'm going to have you stand with me in honor of the Word of God tonight. 2 Kings, chapter 1, <clears throat> begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says this, then Moab rebelled against Israel. After the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. And say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Baal-zebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us and said unto us, Go, turn again unto the king that sent you and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Baal-zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you? And told you these words. And they answered him, He was an hairy man, and he had a, with, pardon me, with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It's Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of an hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And he sent again a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these thy These fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, 
For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Israel? Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. I pray, God, that uh, we would treasure this moment, knowing that in this next little while, you, Almighty God, are intending and desiring to move amongst us by your Spirit. You're desiring to call our name and get our attention through your word. You want to do tonight a work in us, Lord. Some of those works are works of correction. Some of us are really in our hearts far from you, perhaps. And tonight you want to uh, call out to us and draw us back to you and that we might flee to you and, and fall on our face before you and begin to worship you as our God once again. Some of us, Lord, no doubt, got a long history of religion, know all about you, but do not know you. And tonight you want to say to them, before I have to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Would you please come to me that I might redeem you to myself? Lord, there are those that are here tonight that need your comfort. And all of those things you desire to do Lord, you need us tonight to humble ourselves before you as our God. To get over the things that we've built up in our life, to get over the busyness of, uh, of our life, to get over the self-evaluated importance of our lives, and to find ourselves humbling ourselves before you as our God. And you are God alone. And I pray tonight we'd see you clearly. We'd draw nigh to you with our whole heart and that we would leave this place different because you've met with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing tonight. It's really a pretty simple passage of Scripture and almost comical at times. It must be clear that God is involved uh, in really everything there's things I believe that God stands back from in a believer's life when we get off the course of following him as we've seen already. But God is not unaware. He's all-knowing and all-present. He's all-powerful. And God is interested in a personal relationship with us. Not just one where it's a personal interest, a uh, personal relationship in theory or, or uh, theologically, but one that's a personal relationship, personally, actually. One where he walks and talks with us and we uh, walk and talk with him. That's been done before. Yeah, it was done, I think, early on by a man by the name of Enoch. How many of you know that turned out pretty well? And it will again, in fact, turn out well when we would just say, you're God. What I'm going to do with my life is whatever it takes to pursue you with all of my life. The people that are in view here, this King Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. Ahab, you know, is a wicked king. This is in the northern kingdom uh, after the division uh, of Israel, north and south, uh, caused by the institutionalized idolatry uh, put in place by Solomon, uh, the king, and, and really a, a terrible king. That nation was divided, and, and it never was really right. From the very beginning, the, the king that took it, that God had chosen, uh, it's there in 1 Kings chapter uh, 11 and 12, that, uh, that king, that uh, Jeroboam, that uh, would become the first king, boy, he seemed to start off okay, but it really wasn't very long at all before he built two golden calves and put one in Bethel and one in the city of Dan, and, and he uh, mimicked really everything that was done uh, to worship God in Israel right down to, 
uh, having a feast on the eighth month and the 15th day uh, to mimic the Feast of Tabernacles and, and led the people just to absurd, really, idolatry and disregard for their God. In fact, at one point, there's a prophet that comes to him. The only thing we know him by is the man of God. And he comes and prophesies against the altar while Jeroboam is up on it uh, offering a sacrifice there. And, and he says, O altar, O altar, thus saith the Lord. And uh, says that upon you are going to be burnt the, the bones of, of men, these, uh, these false priests of the high places. And, and, uh, and uh, they're going to be consumed. And uh, God's going to do all of that. And here's a sign that the bottom's going to cave out of you and all the ashes are going to fall out on the ground. And Jeroboam hears that and he and of course, he wants the man arrested, and he says, arrest that man. And when he does, God freezes his arm in that place. Isn't that a great story? This nation was never right with God. They existed in idolatry. They went into captivity. There are but remnants of them that we can track throughout the rest of Old Testament history, and they were never right with God. The Samaritans or Samarians that you find here, later the Samaritans, they're these people. Samaria was the region and Samaria became the town where they built uh, the early capital of the northern kingdom and so it was called Samaria and, and then later after the nation had gone into captivity there was of course a residue of people that's a, that's a message for another day but uh, they began to be mixed with all of the other people uh, that were under the control of the Assyrians that's what the Assyrians did they brought all these people in and they mixed them together and, and, uh, and, and, and I'm just telling you that they never ever got right with God. Ahab, you know, is a, I guess Ahab's probably less famous than his wife. Yeah. I've never once in all my years had someone say, we're having a baby girl and we're going to name her Jezebel. If your name is Jezebel here tonight, I'm sorry. You should be hating on your parents right now, not me. I'm just going to say it right up front. But. So Ahab dies and Ahaziah becomes the king. And that's where we pick up this story. And what it says is that, that Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And it may sound strange to you because it's two nations. But what this was was a nation or two nations in this very common relationship. In fact, Judah ended up spending most of the rest of their history after this, uh, right up until the time of the destruction of the second temple, uh, as, a, as a, a, a vassal state of some other country. See, here's the way this works. Strong nations, uh, they made weak nations serve them. And the strong nations that made a weak nation serve them were called the suzerain nations. Okay? And the ones that were weaker, they were called vassal states. And there was surely a period of time uh, under the, at the, let's say at the end of David's term and, and during part of Solomon's uh, time as the king that, that the nation of Israel really held uh, most of the nations around them uh, into, uh, in that sort of vassal suzerain. They were servants to them. Now here's all it meant is that they paid a lot of taxes to the stronger nation. Some things never change. And that when they needed soldiers or workmen uh, for hard jobs, the, the, the suzerain, or let's call it the master uh, state, uh, would require of the servant states that they would send workers to their tasks. And, and so they held them under the thumb. And there was a great benefit to the state that was the master state in all of this. But the only reason that a state would ever remain in the condition of being a servant nation to another nation is if they believed that that other nation's king and therefore its armies were strong enough to defeat them and keep them in that condition. And the moment they had no respect for that king, they would be like, nanny nanny boo boo, which is in the original, okay? And what it means is, hasta la vista baby, okay? We're out of here. <laughs> and that's what happened here. And so you have to understand that Ahab died, and for whatever else, I mean, I personally think, uh, I personally think Ahab was a wimp too, okay? I just think he had a strong wife. 
And that's, that's probably really why they stayed where they were. But Ahab died, and Moab sees Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, and this is what they say. <laughs> right. And they leave. They say, we're not going to serve you anymore. You're on your own. Come and make us. You're not the boss of me. I don't know how they said it. What I know is, is that this was a great insult to Ahaziah, the king of Israel. Because no sooner did he take the throne than the people that should have been saying, okay, yes, we're afraid of your great might and power and leadership, said, you're a joke, man. And they, and they left. And he got pretty upset about it. I know it says it like this. It says, then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber, was in Samaria, and was sick. So let me ask you a question. Which part of that do you think is there just for the fun of it? Moab rebelled against Israel, or Ahaziah fell down through the lattice that was in his upper chamber and was sick? Which part is just filler words? That's exactly right. Here's what it means, that there's some connection between them rebelling and him falling through the window, or through the lattice, as it's called here. And the connection was this, I believe, that, uh, that Ahaziah, when this happened, uh, followed in his father Ahab's footsteps and threw a good old-fashioned Hebrew-style hissy fit. That's what he did. You say, preacher, that's very unbecoming of a king. I know, but he learned it from his father. Do you, do you remember that story where it's, uh, I think, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, somewhere right about there, uh, chapter 21, I guess, and uh, and uh, uh, Ahab sees Jezreel, the neighbor, with the garden. You remember that story? And he goes like, whoo, I want that garden. So he goes up to him and says, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, I'm, I'm King Ahab. King Ahab. Did you hear that? King Ahab. And I want your garden. And I'll give you whatever you have. In fact, I'll give you another one of my other gardens for it. And the guy says, well, King Ahab. <laughs> Sorry. This was given to my family by God. And I not only won't give it to you, but I don't really have the right to give it away to you. And so Ahab did the kingly thing. He went like this. Are you ready? And he threw himself down on his bed, and he wouldn't eat. That's what the Bible says. And when his servants came in and said, oh, king, please eat, he went, no. Turned his face toward the wall. Good old-fashioned Hebrew-style big baby hissy fit. His wife comes in and goes, honey, what's the matter? Well, that guy... He, he has a garden, and I want it, and he won't let me have it. And I'm mad. And she goes, don't worry, dear. Mama will get it for you. <laughs> so they have a little thing, and they have a festival, and a celebration, and she makes a plan, and has him lifted up, and gets two thugs who kill him. And then she takes the garden. And she goes in and says, honey, here's your bean with bacon soup. Oh, no, bacon, no, that doesn't work. Here's your bean without bacon soup. <laughs> and here's your garden. He's like, oh, good, 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 good. I got a garden. Do you know that the dumb things you do, <laughs> did I say dumb, preacher? Okay. <laughs> you know the wrong things you do Dad, become bigger in the next generation. Yeah. Those, those little attitudes you have that you think you ever have to have under control, if you're honest with yourself and you've lived very long and your kids are you know, more than eight months old or so, you've looked at them and said, what is the matter with that kid? Only to realize that what's the matter with them is they're being you. 
So there's really no reason to imagine that when Ahaziah gets this news that Moab rebelled and has no respect for him whatsoever as a man, as a king, as a warrior, as anything, that that's probably in his eyes more serious than a garden. And he threw a big hissy fit. And it says he fell down through the lattice. And it's really quite simple. Maybe you just could have the picture in your mind so that you can see that all of this is self-induced, really, because he has no foundation in his relationship with God in his life. And so somehow he's throwing a temper tantrum. The lattice, I don't know, when I first read this, the only thing, I'm a, I'm a simple man and I grew up in a small place, but uh, the only thing I ever thought of as a lattice was like wood, you know, that was made in a lattice that would go like over the top of a deck and the beans or something would grow over it. And so I thought this, what kind of an idiot would walk on that? That's a legitimate question. Well, then I found out he probably wasn't walking on it. That what happened is because of the place they were, uh, of course, they had windows, let's say, in the palace and thick walls, but they didn't really have the glass like you and I have it. And interestingly enough, no air conditioning in the royal palace in Samaria. And so what they did is they covered the windows with this lattice work so you'd still get air through there to cool it off because you needed that, but you'd have some privacy because, well, you needed that. And somehow in his upper room, this guy was having such a fit, he seems to have thrown himself through that lattice and out onto the ground. And he was sick. God is always a gentleman. That means he's all busted up inside. And here's the thing about it. He has no idea if he's going to live or die. And he's scared to death at this moment. And I would even suggest to you that that when a man uh, is scared to death, he kind of really reveals everything about him. Now, I'm saying that when you don't know whether you're going to live or die, you're looking for whatever resource is appropriate that you have access to to try to get an answer and a solution to your problem. And so, uh, you know, Ahaziah is laying in his bed, really afraid that he's going to die, And he calls his messengers in and he says to them, go to Jerusalem and find a prophet of God. And that's not what he says. Listen to what he says. I want you to go and I want you to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron, whether I will live or die. And that offended God greatly. Because God immediately responds by appearing really personally. The angel of the Lord. Do you see that in verse number three? But the angel of the Lord. Here's what that is. That's a, that's a, pre, uh, that's a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the second person of the Godhead. Uh, God didn't send a prophet to the prophet. He said, hey, I got something I want you to do. I want you to go and say these words to that king. Is it not... Because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron. Go ask him that question. So let me help you. Uh, You and God already know the answer to that question. In fact, whether they live it or not, the people of Samaria are a part of the covenant people with God. They're in a covenant relationship with God. And that covenant and adherence to it is the only thing that keeps them living in the land that they live in. And there are expectations and requirements of that covenant. You know that it was given on Mount Sinai. You know that the Mosaic law, as we know it, are the words of the covenant. And you know that uh, when uh, they gave them, here's what God said, listen, I'm going to give you this covenant, I'm going to offer this covenant to you, but it is different than the other covenants I've had with you. It's a conditional covenant. And if you'll obey me and keep the words of this law, then you'll be able to live in this land. But when you won't keep these any longer, I'm going to put you out of this land. And they were living 
as adherents, that's probably overstatement, but as parties to the covenant with God. There was a God who is God in Israel. But what Ahaziah did was treat him with such disrespect that it was as if he didn't exist at all. So God asks or sends the prophet with a rhetorical question based upon the actions of King Ahaziah. Because in King Ahaziah's actions, it said, there is no God in Israel. Why? Well, because he sent his messengers to inquire of, you got to love this, Baal's a bub. Baal, or we're in Missouri, Baal. Did I say that right? Pretty close. That just means Lord. This is Lord of the Flies. And he's the deity of the city-state Ekron of the Philistines. There were five of those cities. Each one had their own lord. This one was the lord of the flies. I want you to consider for a minute the insult this was to God. Here's God. You know, he said said things to them like, if you'll obey me, these things will happen. If you'll disobey me, I'll deal with you this way. You remember the whole mountains and the blessing and the cursing and all of that? He's also said this, listen, inquire of me. I'll answer you. I want to be your God and you be my people and we'll walk together and I'll bless you in the land. And he's done all of that. And so now at this great moment of of uncertainty in his life, when he doesn't know what's ahead, I'm just telling you that what he does is say, hey, I want you to go to a different God altogether, who, uh, who, by the way, is no God at all, who is the creation of mankind. And there, there is no real living Baal. Baal's a lie. Even if he's called lie of the flies. He's still a lie. It's empty and vain. It's dumb. It's pointless. And you know, to get there, they really sort of had to go to Jerusalem and hang a right. I mean, they were this close. And this kind of, we're told, walk on by that. Forget about Jehovah. Don't worry about any of that. Don't go look for Elijah, the, um, the prophet. He knew who he was. Don't do any of that. Just go to this idol and say this. I don't know how you do this exactly. Lord of the flies. Will the king live or die? How ridiculous is this? You think I'm being funny. This guy's the one being funny. I'm not being funny. I just want you to see how absolutely disrespectful, how absolutely offensive to God. This is the Old Testament equivalent of what's written in the New about treading under your feet the blood of Jesus. No, this is acting as if God is of no value. And God gets upset. And listen, not only was he a covenant member, this guy, if anybody knew that Baal was fake and Jehovah was real. See, it was under his dad that Mount Carmel happened. You remember that? So here's Ahaziah watching all that take place. You remember? Do you remember the words of that? And let me, let me remind you of them. They're back in chapter 18. You can turn there or not, but I'm going to remind you of them. I think it's chapter 18. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Hang on. Let me find it. Let me find it real quick. Chapter 18. Yes, chapter 18. And, and if you go there, verse 21 Elijah has all of them there. The prophets of Baal are up there, Baal. And and Elijah comes unto the people, and this is what he says. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now listen to this. If the Lord, 
all caps, see that? Be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The, the quest here, or the, the test here, ooh, is who is Almighty God? And then that's what it means. So if the Lord, that's Jehovah, okay? That's the one who uh, is, the, let's say, the name of Almighty God in the Hebrew name. If Jehovah is God, that's Elohim. That's the most high. That's what the word means. It's El or Elyon, right? Or uh, Elohim in uh, the Hebrew language. If, Elo- if Jehovah is the most high, all-powerful God, then follow him. If Baal is the most high, all-powerful God, then follow him. And he posed to Israel a decision and a test. And you know how it worked. They each had an animal and an altar opportunity. And they, the prophets of Baal went first. And he said, let's see which God answers and accepts the sacrifice, consumes it. And all day long, the prophets of Baal were out there. The very institution of contemporary worship, I think. Dancing and cutting themselves and screaming and crying. To the point where it's gone on so long that Elijah mocks them during this time. Scream a little louder. Maybe he's busy. And there is no answer from Baal. And then the time of the evening offering comes. And Elijah makes a little altar, stacks it together, digs a hole around it, puts the wood on it, puts the sacrifice on it. I mean, you know this better than I do. And he has them get barrels of water and just douse it. They do it a number of times until there's, I mean, everything is just saturated it is impossible to burn this at that point. They didn't have those cool little fire-starting balls that we have soaked with kerosene. This just can't happen. And Elijah doesn't cut himself or scream or dance. He gets down on his knees and says, I know you're almighty God. Show them. And man, the fire came. And it consumed the altar and the wood and the offering and the water in front of the nation of Israel and Ahaziah. And at the end of that day, after all that happens, in verse 39 of chapter 18, it says this, Ahaziah, no doubt, seeing this and having heard it recounted year after year, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. I'm sorry. The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. There's only one and it's Jehovah. Jehovah is the Lord. The Lord is the God. If you ever wondered again, Elohim is Jehovah and Jehovah is the one and only Elohim. There is a God in Israel. His name is Jehovah. And when Ahaziah, knowing all of that, does this, it's such an offense to God. Could I, could I, mm, to know God, to know about God, and to be in some kind of relationship with God, and then to live in your life as if God doesn't matter, could never be anything except an offense to God. Ever. It wouldn't even matter like if you were a prophet or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. To know God, to be in some kind of relationship with God, but to live in any part of your life. Could I say it that way? Any part of your life, to live as if God doesn't matter, could not be anything but a tremendous offense and insult to Almighty God. 
And that's what Ahaziah does. And God responds and says, well, go tell the messengers. It must be because I don't exist. That he's sent to inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron. And tell him that he'll not come down off that bed he's on. He's going to die. And so the messengers go out. And no sooner than they went out, than they came back in because Elijah met him in the way. And the king said, what are you doing back here so soon? They said, king, we already got an answer. This guy met us in the way. And uh, he said to us, go turn again to the king that sent you, verse 6, and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Verse 7, and he said unto them, uh, what manner of man uh, was he which came up to you and told you, to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And the king said, that's Elijah, and I hate that guy. And he did. I know that you like to read it like, and the king said, behold, that must be Elijah. No. He said, that's Elijah the Tishbite, and he's nothing but trouble. I'd like to kill that guy, except I'm dying. It's a problem. And Elijah goes and he's sitting on a hill. (laughs) And the king, listen to this, the king tries to countermand the declaration of God. And he says, if I can kill the messenger, I'll quiet the voice. (laughs) That'll never work, just so you know. Elijah sits on the hill and a captain of 50, 50 soldiers with their captain come to him. And this is what they say. It gets progressively better. And it's, they say this to him. O man, thou man of God, verse 9, the king hath said, come down. So I can, can you see it? Elijah sitting on a hill, reading A.W. Tozer's The Attributes of God? No doubt. Well, you should be, maybe. And the military captain with his men comes up and goes, man of God, the king hath said, come down. And he goes, dog ears this page. If I be a man of God, let fire fall down from heaven and consume you. You should really not threaten Elijah with things like this. I mean, this is twice now that fires come from heaven. And they were gone. And he went back to reading. You're laughing. It happened. A little while goes by, the king's impatient. He sends another captain of 50 with his 50s. But listen to what this one says, verse 11. And he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, the king has said, come down quickly. Translated, get down here now. Don't make me come in there. And Elijah said, okay, if I be a man of God, let fire fall from heaven. 51 more gone. King waits a little longer, gets tired of waiting, sends another captain of 50 with his 50. Only this one had the ability to learn and began to recognize that Jehovah was Elohim. Because he went up to the man of God and said, Oh, man of God, please, value our lives. The people that came before you, they were all consumed by fire. And Elijah said, I know, it was so cool. (laughs) Maybe. Please spare our lives. And look what happens. In your Bible, it says, again, uh, this phrase. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him. Be not afraid. You know all that fire coming down? That was God really vindicating his messenger, wasn't it? It was him saying, this man is my man and I am God. And it wasn't about, about pumping Elijah up. It was about glorifying his own name. 
And it was also about being a shield and a fortress and a high tower to Elijah. Because he uh, took those 50 men with their captains because they were wanting not just for Elijah to come down and go talk to the king. They intended to kill Elijah. It was the king's purpose. And you know, when God did all of that, he wasn't just being a bully and he's not filled with genocide. He was protecting his own when he destroyed them. I'm glad I served that God. He's worth it. But this one came up in humility and God said, go down with him and don't be afraid of him. You're not going to die. And so Elijah went. It's a great day of visitation. He walked into the king's room and said, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you sent to inquire of Baal Zebub, God of Ekron? Therefore, thou shalt not come down upon, off this bed upon which thou liest, you're going to die. And turned around and walked out of the room. And here's how the Bible records it. And he died. Did that man die of a fall out of a window? Nah. That man died because he treated God as if God was somehow his slave and his servant and of no regard at all. He didn't treat God like God. And that's why that man died. He could have turned to God and said, and I have messed this whole thing up. My dad messed this up. My dad's dad messed this up. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call upon my people and I'm going to call upon you and we're going to get right with you, God. And we're going to begin to worship you. We're going to melt down those golden calves. We're going to turn them into teeth or something. And we're going to begin to honor you with everything we do. He could have done that. And I can't tell you for sure, but I'm, I personally am sure that God would have said this. It's exactly what I've been waiting for. Because God had no desire just to get rid of Ahaziah. This was all brought on by Ahaziah. Because God is God, and Ahaziah did not treat him as God. Everybody got this? So let me say a couple things to you. God has always been and will always be Elohim, the Most High. He was not created. He didn't have a beginning. He's self-existent. He's all-powerful. Sees all things as present. Time really means nothing to God. He's not hindered or bound by it. God has always been and will always be the most high. Man can create whatever system they want to. They can create as many idols as they want to. They can divine different theologies, different philosophies, different sorts of, of worship. But God will always be God. There's no doubt about it. But let me also say this. Just because God is God doesn't mean he's your God. See, God has always been God, but that has nothing to do with the fact of whether he is or he is not your God. And it really doesn't, uh, it doesn't have anything to say about the fact of how you feel about God. It just means this, that God is, amen? He is the I am that I am. So, how do I know if he's my God? And how does he know how I esteem him? Because the reason God got so upset here is, is that Ahaziah said, eh, you don't matter. So how, does, how do I know if he's my God? Well, that's an issue of faith, isn't it? But how does he know 
how I esteem him. That's also an issue of faith. See, the Lord is God. We learned that in this passage. And God is always God. And the truth is, is that God is always the Lord. But again, that doesn't mean he's your Lord. You could acknowledge him as God and him not be your Lord. That's Adonai, master, right? If you were in Sunday school class, it's the one who said, if any man come after me, chief affection, chief allegiance. So how, I mean, how, how could I possibly show God that he's not only God, but he's my God. He's not only the Lord, that he's my Lord. I mean, what's the evidence in my life that would say to God, that one is yours and you are his? Well, if God is your God and your Lord, It'll always be demonstrated when you've come to the end of yourself. Or where you turn for solutions when you don't have any. That'll always demonstrate the most high and the master in your life. Every time. That's what happened here. The greatest need of his life, he disregarded Jehovah Elohim and sought Baal Zebub. And in doing that, he said to God, you may be God, but you're not my God. And you may be someone's Lord, but you are not my Lord. And he died. The way that you and I respond or where we first turn when we have a issue for which we have no resource, which, if we're really honest, is every issue, tells us who's God and who's Lord. Well, preacher, how does that work? Huh. I'm glad you asked. Call upon me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your lust. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will, that we shall receive it of the Father. If two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The single greatest way that you and I communicate to the God who is the Lord, that he is our God and our Lord, is when we depend upon him as the source of all things. And that is expressed in our prayer life.
Listen to me, church. Your prayer life tells God how you esteem him. As you walk through the days of your life, and with anything that comes up, the place you go is not to him, it's to some other pile of resource without any consultation with him. It says this, don't need you, got this. Your prayer life, as it exists up to this moment, is the thing that says to God, you are the God, you are my God, and you are my Lord. Or it says, eh, I mean, I like you. I acknowledge you. But I don't need you. In fact, there's really no other way that I can find in this book where I express my dependence upon God than to call upon him. Even at the point of my salvation, what's he say? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because they're saying only you are God. So, what does God think you think about him? Well, preacher, how am I supposed to know? By your prayer life. When you have a hit and miss prayer life, what it really means is that you are intermittently dependent upon God. And that says, eh, you're a good God. Break in case of ultra-emergency. It doesn't say, you're my Lord and my God. And if you really want revival, it's not just the exercise of prayer. It's the heart that says, you're my Lord and my master that will allow him to begin to stir you in revival. And that is expressed in your routine prayer life. So what does God think you think of him? You and I should answer that question tonight. We should make clear to God that he is both our God and our Lord in our life right here tonight. And it would begin by us acknowledging the condition and lack of dependence upon him and condition of our prayer life and beginning to turn it around. It's not about agreeing this is right. It's about acting upon this truth. And this is truth. And it's time to act. Stand with me.